0: Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy. What a guest I have for you this week. Irini Georgoglu spent eight years in a marriage because she thought she could grow to love someone, and 30 years in a career she originally entered because she didn't want to seem ungrateful. At 60, after a suggestion from her second husband, she discovered her real passion and lives a life of joy. This is Master Chef winner, cookbook author, inspiring speaker, and an all-around joy, Irini Georgoglou. So go for it at any age. I
1: now believe that tremendously and I think I have time for a third career if I choose to. So go for whatever it is, but do it with a lot of love and commitment because it is something that will give you joy.
0: Hi, Irini. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Thank you for asking me,
1: Christine. I'm great. I was telling somebody yesterday that I live
0: the life of joy right now. So I'm good. Thank you very much. You are definitely in a really exciting chapter. Your face is the picture of joy. Any picture I've seen of you talking to you, you seem so joyful and you seem so busy. I'm very busy. Perhaps all of us
1: live different lives, different careers, but very, very few of us are lucky to stumble upon one that represents a real passion. And my state of joy comes from that fact that at the age of 60, I discovered something in which I operate and as someone who has developed A program called Your Sacred Gifts once told me, I operate from a point where I am in spirit. I am inspired. That, of course, requires you to be a little troll, to to accept that and understand it. But I have always been spiritual in my life, and certainly during my MasterChef journey, it felt as if it wasn't me doing anything. It felt as if other people through me were achieving what they were achieving. So totally inspired. And I've continued to be inspired since.
0: I love it. And of course, we're going to talk about MasterChef because that is one of the really exciting things. But it sounds like so much more is exciting as well. I would love to go back. You said you've always been. I'd love to go way back into the always been and start with your childhood on Crete. Can you tell me a little bit, just paint us a picture of childhood on Crete? It
1: was idyllic in many ways, growing up in a small village. It really suited me, my psyche, my soul. I loved living in nature. We were self-sufficient. From a poor background, small farm holding, but our house was always full of people. I was very lucky to be born You know how sometimes we wonder in life, why was I born into that family? Very Mm. often, in a negative way, because we don't think we've got anything in common with the other members of the family. I really, truly feel blessed now that I understand why I was born into that family, because they were hospitable. They had joie de vivre with all the poverty. We didn't have luxuries. We didn't have special treats, but at the same time. That excitement of a child for the first ripened grape, for the first gift of the year, for the first new pair of shoes, for the first person that would visit and bring a little gift, everything had tremendous value. And therefore, I remember as a child feeling very complete,
0: very full, very loved, and of course, surrounded by wonderful produce. The thing I picked up on is, was that first ripened grape. And first of all, it just sounds so lovely. <laughs> but also, clearly, there was food and, like you said, fresh produce and nature all around you growing up.
1: And the desire to share. Mm. Imagine that there were times that, as a little child, I almost felt resentful because. Oh, not again. Dad has brought the bus driver, the school teacher, the postman, and they're going to eat all our food tonight. <laughs> so all I'm going to have is fresh goat's milk and a bit of uh, sourdough dipped in it and maybe a few bits of fruit. And I wasn't a great eater. I remember having bottles of cod liver oil when I was little, but there were things that I liked. So I wasn't a big meat eater and I didn't eat quantities. I was very skinny, but I loved good food and I loved food cooked with love. Even if it was chips, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother made the most Amazing chips cooked over wood burning under the frying pan and the good olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, and they were slowly cooking forever. So you can imagine these days you go to a pub and you say, oh, triple cooked chips and wow, they're amazing. They were cooking for like ever. So they were incredibly soft and scrumptious inside and very crispy on the outside. And how can somebody have such wonderful memories of chips cooking? But I do. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I need those chips right now.
1: (laughs) So imagine having those freshly cooked chips over the olive wood in very good extra virgin olive oil and grating on top of them beautiful fresh cheese that you've made. It's unbelievable.
0: That sounds just like all you need. (laughs) (laughs) All you need is chips. (laughs)
1: So at the age of 20, you left Crete? Yes. At the age of 20, I left Athens because we lost my father very suddenly to a heart attack. I moved to Crete and at the
0: age of 22, I moved to London. So when you first moved, you had been in Athens at that point? My family moved to Athens when I was about eight
1: in order to offer me and my brothers a good chance of education. Okay. And I was going to be in Athens and continue and go to uni, but my father's untimely death meant that we had to return back to Crete because my mom felt the need to be surrounded by the love and nurture of her family.
0: That makes sense. So from Athens to Crete and then to London at 22. And that was with your first husband, yes? That's right. Yes. Oh, I can't quite imagine leaving Crete to come to London, but okay. I was a rebellious young woman. I found that one side of the Greek
1: coin is a very loving all embracing a big extended family. The other side of that is every great aunt, uncle, cousin, third cousin, you name it, are controlling what you do. They take an interest. In effect, in the mind of a 20 year old, that's controlling. So I met Ian, he said to me, he knew he wanted to marry me instantly. He walked in my uncle's hotel and saw me behind the reception. I didn't, I found every excuse to avoid him, <laughs> but we still joke that I was washing my hair every day, apparently, but mm. because we are good friends. But it happened, and I believed uh, I was very wise at the age of 20. I thought you can grow to love somebody if there are enough v- values about them that you respect and admire. And although I wasn't in love with Ian, I married him. I moved to London, and uh, we lived together for eight years. And they were good years. He helped me grow. He helped me find an internal freedom that I never had. It he helped me express myself. So I have a lot to be grateful to Ian for.
0: You ended up in banking, which seems so not your personality to me.
1: Is that fair to say? Very fair. To be though precise, I always stayed within banking in front office roles because the one aspect I loved about it was the contact with the clients. Even towards the end of my career, when I was a deputy manager of the bank in London, I wanted and I loved the part of my job that had to do with meeting the customers. But banking itself with a subject that has never inspired me. It was a job that was offered to me. I took it because I didn't want to appear ungrateful to the person offering it to me. And then. I It gave me the opportunity to speak Greek, to be in touch with home, to have Greek customers because it was a Greek bank, and somehow I got
0: hooked. It seems like, though, even though you spent 30 years in a banking career, you were doing a lot of other things. So it was like working to live instead of living to work. Totally. Totally. Even towards the end, again, when the
1: hours were many, I was finding things to do. I was always interested in creative things. So I did theater. I was interested in interior design. So I would decorate houses of colleagues and
0: friends. You got a degree, didn't you, in interior design or art and design art, history and <laughs> art of history, architecture and design. Yes.
1: So all the things that, as I say in my keynote speech, that would make my heart sing. Because Banky wasn't doing that.
0: And you were only 60 when you retired, or you retired a bit before that. So what was, what finally got you to exit that career?
1: Yes, I was about, I was in my early 50s. And it was my current husband, John, bless him, who made me realize that believing that one should continue to work forever in order to acquire one more thing or To have peace of mind for the future, some security, financial for the future, wasn't necessarily the right thing because in the meantime, our everyday life was escaping us. And he felt the same way. He was also in the financial industry. So we decided that as people, we would need less to be happy with, but be nature which we both love and spend time with our loved ones which
0: was important to both of us. So is that what inspired a love from a move? Not a love, a move from London to Cumbria? Yes. Very nice. You know, over the years
1: there have been many friends who visit us here and say, Oh, you're so lucky, we wish we could do all that. And always inside my head I'm saying You can do it. You have a choice. But I don't vocalize it because, of course, all these intelligent, mature, successful business people, professionals know they have a choice. The question is, what is it? That battle that one day we need to press to say, I am making that choice today. I'm making it reality. I'm changing my life. So you pressed a pretty big button. <laughs> Very big button. And with many unknowns as well, that's another reason that I'm, not a reason that I'm spiritual, but a reason that shows me in a big way that spirituality does exist, that other things bigger than us exist. Because John and I are the kind of people who could argue for a week about an arctic trade, a tiny feature in a room, and yet when I call John in China, where he was working at the time, to say, Rabbi, I have just seen a house, the perfect house. Can I make an offer? you are to love it. And he said, okay then. Well, that, to me, is the ultimate proof that things sometimes need to happen, need to fall into place, because they are steps that will slowly take us where we need to be.
0: Right. I love that because I feel like I, I will blame the Zodiac. I don't know how much I believe in it, but I will blame the fact that I'm a Libra and I'm the scales, but that is me to a T. It's almost like I have to do like what you said with John and just say, yes, before I think about it, or I will think about it for the next yeah. 10 years.
1: <laughs> yes. And of course, there are all kinds of issues that uh, our monkey mind, as I call it, will put forward why we shouldn't do what our impulse tells us. Lots of reasons. Had we stopped to think about it, we might never have moved. We knew nothing about Cardinal, who lives here, what life would be like, how close how long it takes us to go to the airport, are we going to be accepted by the community, are we going to feel lonely, what are we going to do without that?
0: None of that was considered. It was, we love it, let's do it. And. Being a person who had been living what sounds like a very busy London life, you had been working many hours, you still found time to do theatre and study and do all these different things, all your interior decorating pursuits. Retirement must have been a bit boring. Oh, it was very boring. Oh my goodness. That side of it
1: was totally miscalculated. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so you're like, let's make somewhere beautiful, but I'm going to be really bored. There was actually something that
1: was in the pipeline. John and I had this brilliant idea whereby we would set up this company that would sell high-end villas in Crete. And therefore, our job would be to go over there, have a lot of fun, meeting very interesting people, and make a very good living. So what happened? In the early days, it was wonderful. We did live that joy for a couple of years, and then the bottom fell out of the Greek market in particular. So very quickly, we realized that this wasn't viable anymore. And then I started searching. But John, always the sound of reason in my life, said to me all the time, you need the freedom to go back and forth to Crete to spend time with your aging mother. You can't really devote it to a business. You can't really devote it to something that will require you to build it and give it 24-7 attention and love. So my frustration was mounting and I was driving him a little crazy until one day he said, what about chef? You are looking for a challenge. You watch it.
0: You are good at cooking. Why don't you do it? What is there to lose? I love that it's not like why don't we try a catering a party? It's why don't you go and master chef? <laughs> yes, right up to the <laughs> That's not thinking small. <laughs> no, I
1: think he was thinking, ah, this way I will get rid of her for a few months at least.
0: <laughs> she'll be too busy to just keep bothering me about i'm bored these too many ideas help me let's figure this out
1: <laughs> exactly he she will be in the kitchen practicing all these dishes what he didn't count on is that i would practice on dishes that he would then have to try so for somebody who hates for example cooked apples he had to eat them about 12 times until i got the dessert as i wanted it So yeah, that wasn't a lot of fun for him. I
0: was actually really liking John quite a bit until you said that he hates cooked apples. And now I'm questioning him.
1: (laughs) I know. Who who doesn't like cooked
0: apples? I guess he's okay otherwise, but I'm going to hold that one against him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We won't tell him.
0: So not that you want to give away all your trade secrets, but obviously going from I don't know what I'm going to do with my life to I'm going to be on MasterChef. Is not just an overnight thing. I know you worked really hard to do it, and it wasn't just the cooking; it was the physical stamina. It was all these other things. Tell us a little bit about your road to Master Chef, yes. other than the cooked apples. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny that it happened the way it, of course, and actually, I have the firm belief that I wouldn't have won it if I was working in the bank and was doing it. And lots of other contestants were holding jobs and they were competing. I was really fortunate. I recognized that I had the luxury to practice and take the train and go to Latum when I needed to and come back and and also the luxury of being able to afford ingredients, some of them are expensive or pieces of equipment. But I thought I don't want at my age to go and appear on a program and make a fool of myself. I need to prepare And particularly, as they said to me, if we invite you, we would like to cook Greek. And living in the UK for the last 40 years, I was cooking every cuisine. And we are blessed in this country. We have all the ingredients, we have influences. So that really scared me. And I thought it's a great opportunity to showcase my cuisine, my culture, but what do I know about the modern Greek food of today or the MasterChef type of food of today? So I traveled to Athens. I ate in Michelin star restaurants. I bought the, the, any professional magazines and books were out there. I educated myself. I trained physically because I didn't want to drop a heart attack from the pressure in the studio <laughs> to, to trying uh, a molecular techniques and all the kind of things that I thought, you know, would stand well during the competition. So it was very intensive without any knowledge that anything would come of it. So a big investment, if you think about it, for anybody who decides to take part in this competition, and it was for me, but I said to John, hey, at the end of it, I will just be a better cook than I am today. So as far as you're concerned and I'm concerned, it's worth every penny.
0: (laughs) Not to mention you were eating in Michelin star restaurants and it wasn't like, It was all a hardship. That was research. It had to be done. (laughs) It had to be done. Yes. (laughs) I understand. Nice work if you can get it. (laughs) Next time I'll take you with me. Oh, I will join you in a second. That sounds (laughs) amazing. I do love food. I have to say, you said something about the luxury of having all the ingredients in the UK, but if you're going back and forth to Greece, and we talked already about just the amazing produce and things you had growing up, have you ever been really frustrated by a lot of people I know say a tomato doesn't taste like a tomato here? Uh, Is that fair to say?
1: (laughs) <laughs> it's funny It's funny you should say that because not only I've been frustrated, but I've been very vocal about it mm. to, to the point where a company on the Isle of Wight, which is very south of the country, said to me on day, I don't give bad mouth the British tomatoes all the time, but can we send you some of our tomatoes to dry? Maybe you will change your mind. Did you? And they were great. They were great. But we need to be realistic. And in our expectations, I wasn't for years. So there are some vegetables that I will not cook in the UK. I will never buy artichokes, for example. They are a huge disappointment. I will avoid figs, or machines, I cook, but with a bit of resistance. And what I have learned to do as a cook and a a chef, and I share this knowledge with people, is um, try to inject as much flavor as I can very often by removing the moisture. So the tomatoes, for example, yes, they don't have a lot of flavor, but if you confit them, if you roast them, uh, if you dry them, some things, if you smoke, you will concentrate the flavor or add flavor to them, the sugars will caramelize and you will have them with a bit more flavor than you would otherwise have. But absolutely. I stopped years ago trying to smell fresh vegetables and fruit because every time I would go because I saw the look of a mango, the look of something that I liked and go literally to grab it and smell it. And it was always such a big letdown. I've stopped doing that.
0: But it is interesting that you found ways around this might not be, it might not pack the same punch I want. So I'm going to find a way to concentrate it, a way to still use all these beautiful ingredients or most of the beautiful ingredients.
1: And I believe using local. So I live in Northern England and we definitely have less sun than the south of the country. But we have lots of farms that produce use lots of good things. You, You need to use them. We need to eat better and more logically. Better for the environment, better for our health. Absolutely. If there are ways that we can make what grows locally. And I love to forage too. I love to eat wild foods. So if we can use what is there, we need to do
0: that. Absolutely. As far as being on MasterChef, what was sort of the exciting parts? What was maybe the most challenging part or part?
1: The exciting parts were all, and that's where my uh, mother and my grandmothers before her came to the fore, was me feeding people. I had not realized until MasterChef that I was a feeder. And what always stressed me was not, is the food going to be good enough to take me to the next round? But is my food going to be good enough for John, for Greg, for these lovely people who are coming to this function tonight, for this food Greek, for this chef, for my, it was always, will it please, will it be received well? So that for me was the most exciting part. And to have all these people love Greek food, my food was stunning. What was stressing me was time, lack of time. Plus, I walked into MasterChef with a belief that I could not cook without a recipe. Mm. That is a huge handicap because all my life, because I enjoyed cookery books, I would cook from cookery books and I had come to believe that if you leave me alone with a bunch of ingredients, I won't be able to cook. I don't know where that belief came from, but it was there. and. When I went on Master Chef, I thought, okay, these are the tasks that I will probably get undone that I won't do well. Little did I know, and that's why life comes to surprise us very often, and that's why I believe in all of us having incredible, universal knowledge that goes back centuries and different vibrations and so on. I did not count on the fact that actually I had a lot of knowledge that I had never put to practice, but everything that I saw as I was growing up in the kitchens of my grandmothers and then my mother, all the things I had read in recipe books over the years, all the programs I had watched had given me a solid enough grounding so that when indeed I was given scraps or anything that I was unknown, I knew how to deal with it and make something really delicious out of it. That was a huge surprise.
0: It's interesting at that, at that level to suddenly, the idea of going on something like that and just thinking, I can't do it without a recipe. That's a really big surprise to me because I, that's how I would feel. I would think, oh, I'd love to do something like that. But I love, like you said, cookbooks and I love reading about it. Sometimes I make it my own, but not really. So that would completely terrify me. And even more so if they were looking for something Greek to come out of it, because if they give you a challenge that doesn't quite fit in with Greek cooking, that sounds like a real challenge. Yes, this is where I fooled everybody a little bit, because very often my food would be
1: actually quite international, but I would throw either a process or a flavoring or two that were Greek. So it was my interpretation of something that was very classic, very Greek, but with the ingredients I had, the time I had, we are the ultimate slow food, but some things had to happen within time imitations. That's why I said one of the factors that stressed me was timing. Since then, I've been on many food festivals I've been in functions where lots of women have come and said to me, oh, I could never cook this as well as you, oh, I could never do it, or I couldn't. And what I say to them from my own now personal experience from this journey is what we are really all, this is not nonsense, I'm not telling you to make you feel better. This is the absolute truth. We are all much better than we think we are.
0: I'm just letting that settle. I'm going to put that into my own brain, my own daily life, because you're that's right. why
1: I stopped, because I want our listeners to take that on board. I want people to think, I don't give myself enough credit, I go through the motions, I feed my family, I volunteer here, I do that there, I do this. Why don't I think I'm good enough? Why don't I think I have that knowledge? I do have knowledge. Maybe I don't have knowledge of the latest fads or latest techniques and I cannot do spherification or I cannot do
0: vinegar pearls, but I know actually I can cook. I think it's worth remembering that. I was reading a quote that your mother knew that you were frustrated by the fact that you felt like you hadn't, you'd gone through your whole life without making a mark up to that point. Yes. So at what point along the MasterChef journey, after the MasterChef journey, when did you start realizing, I am making a mark? Uh, during
1: uh, MasterChef and being put through from task to task, I was very frustrated that I was questioning my success to such a degree that I wasn't enjoying the happiness of it. I, instead, I was saying, why me? Why is it happening to me? I know this dish had faults, so why are they putting me through? I know this wasn't as good as it could be. Why am I succeeding? I don't. And so I was searching during it, mm-hmm. and I sought help from two people that I deeply respect during the course that had nothing to do with the food, but it had to do with the psychology of dealing with my demons and what was Mm. happening to me. So when finally I won, I still knew that the reason I had won was not because the world needed another cook or needed another successful chef or a book writer. I knew there was something else I needed to find. And now I can say I have found it. So. Now I'm a very complete person,
0: but it took a lot of search, a lot of internal search to find it. You certainly haven't rested on your laurels and just said, oh, yeah, I won MasterChef. What's next? You have your cookbook under the olive tree. You just gave a inspirational talk, and I know that's something that is one of the things that you're now doing. How did that go? Oh, that was Unbelievable. It was
1: the best, the most gratifying thing. And I'm a feeder and I have the gift of also hospitality and creativity and teaching and writing. I have all those. I know that now. However, it was the most gratifying experience I have had since mastership, And the simple reason is that by showing my vulnerability and sharing my story with other women, All of them highly accomplished because it was to the members of the British Association of Women Entrepreneurs, so it was women of a certain age, of a certain success, a track record, and so on. I created a space of trust whereby these women were also free to expose their vulnerabilities, and we shared things, and they were able to look at the stage of their lives that they're at and think, maybe I haven't done so badly, or where do I want to go next? Oh, so much wonderful stuff came out of me. My own cameraman was in tears. So that says a lot. He was the only man and he was crying at the end of it because it touched him. Not because my speech was sad, but it resonated with him to the point that he felt, okay, I can show
0: my vulnerability. I think some of what you just said was probably part of it that we can do more than we think, but was there, I think I had originally asked you advice you might give for somebody who wants to make a big career change, but maybe even more so in that speech, what was the message that you were most trying to drive home to bring out that vulnerability?
1: The message actually of the speech wasn't and I idealized that should be a life message for all of us. Wasn't how to attain what I have attained, because I don't know how to tell people to do that. It happened to me by accident it seems, so I've no idea. But the important thing and what I realized through my master'ship journey, and actually looking back now all my life's journey, was that it is the journey that is of the importance and not what happens at the end of it, not what we find at the end of it, whether it is a trophy or a promotion or wealth. Can we be happy and look and embrace and be thankful? for what the journey itself is giving us, because it's giving us a lot, but most of us tend to focus ahead and wait for something to come, to arrive that will make us happy and complete, and actually
0: we miss a lot that has happened already that is very precious. It is so true, because we're rushing through life, uh, trying to get to the next thing, and you do miss so much, because it's, what what are you trying to get to? Where are you trying to get that you need to get to it so quickly? I was thinking when you said about moving to Cumbria and then you've had all this success, you're living in a much slower place. Do you ever feel like, oh, I I can't do the kind of creative job I need to be doing without being in a fast paced place like London? Or have I just answered my own question because you're so happy to have the success mixed with the slower life?
1: We need the space, Christy. We need the space. We don't give ourselves space. You know, you touched it with time, but actually we don't even give space. What this place gave me was the space and the time to look inwards, to consider what mattered to life, to be born, because actually from being born came the action and the success. And first, the challenge and the hard work, but I was prepared to do all that even before. I was just not giving myself the time in London. I'm often embarrassed, but I do say to others that I had a neighbor once in London who suffered from depression. And very often she was out in her front garden and I remember praying every morning that I left the house to go to the city. Gosh, I hope my neighbor is not out today because I will feel the need to stop and chat and I don't have the time to do it. I, what a sorry state of affairs that is. So it is things like that that drove John and me to leave London, but it's having the beautiful nature. And during COVID, we, oh, what a luxury to walk out of our door and walk for hours and meet people who are doing the same thing and chat from a distance and photograph and listen to the birds. And I am thrilled I live what I do. So what's next? As if there's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what's next? The dream is to go around Greece, have the broadcaster pay all my costs, with a cameraman and film old grannies picking lentils, people doing this process, dealing with that produce, I would love that. That is the dream. What I would like to do is reach out to more women, to more people, but I realize that women, we are of a certain age and of perhaps. Because I see my step-granddaughter doesn't have issues like this, will not be plagued by low self-esteem in her life than God. But there are enough of us out there that need a bit of encouragement, a bit of support and a few words of that, of positivity. So I want to give more speeches. I will always continue to feed. I hope more British people will enjoy Greek food through my cook away recipe boxes. I'm very excited about that because some dishes are they're all classic, but some are a bit esoteric. So you might have gone to Greece 10 times, but not eaten grisarotto or pastizzada. So, yeah, I, I'm loving the idea that people are learning more about Greek food. And, and who knows, I'm so open, Christine, I won't be surprised for anything, but I know it will all be good.
0: I have to say, you told me I could go to a Michelin star restaurant with you, but what I really want is to go on this Greece trip because you might need someone that's like your companion who's chatting with you, maybe doing the interview. (laughs) Yes. I haven't been to Greece. I'm so embarrassed to say because it is probably like number one on my favorite foods and dream place to go. Maybe it could be you showing me around Greece and introducing me to all the foods. And if you're a feeder, I'm a (laughs) feedee.
1: Team Irini, the dream team. Let's get that broadcaster calling on our doors and we are going. Oh, I love that idea so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what she doesn't know is she now has a stalker.
1: Don't worry. Join the queue. There are quite a few of you, I think.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm going to try not to be too weird about okay, it. Okay, i me put you the top. I'll put <laughs> I will include the many things you were doing also in the show notes so people can find your website. I'm sure they don't need me for that, but definitely all of these different things you're doing are really exciting and interesting.
1: You did ask me a question that I didn't answer. What would my advice be? Oh, yes. Body-wanting. And I think it's important because I thought a lot about it. And I think the advice I have is not just for anybody who wants to become a chef, which, by the way, is very hard work. So... I believe, in any case, my family and I are lucky to have a very strong work ethic, so we work very hard. But I would say, whatever career it is that you want to do next, or whatever project, actually, because it doesn't have to be a career, you may decide that doing up a home will give you a lot of joy. As the managing director of a PR company who did work for me when I was in banking, sent me a message after winning MasterChef, and he said, "Thank you, Irini." You've just inspired me to buy an old dilapidated property and do it up. That is what he wanted to do, which is great. I was thrilled for him. I would say whatever it is you decide to do, it must be one thing that will resonate with you and that you are very passionate about because that way it won't feel like a job. You will have all you need to give it to succeed. And through success, you will have more joy. So go for it at any age. I now believe that tremendously. And I think I have time for a third career if I choose to. So go for whatever it is, but do it with a lot of love and commitment because it is something that will give you joy doing it.
0: Yeah. Like you said, most new ventures, but especially chefing, I know, is a very difficult thing. It's a lot of hours or a lot of time and Whether or not you are trying to give yourself the time and the space, you still need to make a big commitment to do something new. So do something you love. I mean, that's so much the message that I'm trying to get across with this podcast is it's not too late. Like you don't have to be unhappy. You don't have to be bored. I've got way too much on right now and my head is all over the place, but I lose entire days because I'm having a fun time doing it.
1: It's not a loss of time at that point, actually. It's very important time that you gained in your little
0: box of treasures. That's exactly it. Because when I said I lose time, I meant more that time just, it goes. I'm never bored. I'm always, it's, oh, I don't even know where that day went, except for I can look back and remember this feeling of that brought me joy and that brought me knowledge. And it's such an amazing thing to find at a time in your, your life when you don't necessarily expect it.
1: Yes, that's right. And another thing people often bring to me, and and again, I don't know what to tell them other than the obvious, is mm, I have always been a lawyer. I have always been a doctor. I have always done that. How do I find my passion? How do I know it, even if I have passions? How? Because I think I discovered my passion at 60. And I say, you don't. Take it as a given. You're saying you don't know, you don't know, okay. Try different things. It's as obvious as that. Because unless you try, you just don't know. And it brings me to a fabulous quote that I love. Oh, I don't
0: even have to ask you. (laughs) It's always my tradition. Have you brought me a quote today? I don't even need to ask. Go for it. It's so true as evidenced by my life
1: and people I respect and have admired all my life. A stoic philosopher who lived the first century AD called Epictetus who said, it is in the exercise of our powers that we may become aware of the destiny we are intended to fulfill. It is by doing what we are able to do that we actually expose what our nature bring to the fore what we were destined to do.
0: And for everyone who thinks that doing what you were meant to do and positive quotes and all these things is a new concept, that was from
1: a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> As a lot of good stuff is,
0: <laughs> it will go back to read. <laughs> yes. Exactly, but I do feel like we think because, especially as women, we were told we had certain careers we were allowed to pursue, or you had to do a certain thing for your family or what have you. And it seems like a new concept that we're reclaiming our whether it's our midlife or finding a new career or deserving a second chapter. But really, since the beginning of time, people have searched for meaning and searched for their passions. So it's reassuring to know that we're on the same path as humankind has always been.
1: It means what a lovely warming feeling that leads us with.
0: Well. You have left me with a lovely warming feeling with all of your inspiration, with your success. I loved hearing about Chef, but even more so just talking about good food. So thank you so much, Irini, for joining me. I really appreciate you taking your time to inspire us all. Thank you, Christine. Thank you very much for your time, for inviting. I'll see you in Greece. Yes. <laughs> that was supposed to sound weird and stalkery, but...
1: <laughs> no, it sounded nice. <laughs> okay. Okay,
0: then I'll see you in Greece. Thanks, Irini. <laughs> when are we going? Yay! <laughs> Have you subscribed yet to the second chapter? Whether this is your first or 10th or 100th time tuning in, I encourage you to subscribe to the show so you can hear all of the other inspiring guests we have coming up and you never miss an episode. Just hit the plus sign on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or come to thesecondchapterpodcast.com and hit subscribe. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the Second Chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.